MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Unexplained, Season 4, Episode 21, The Underweight, Part 2. The rain pelted the windows as thunder cracked and rattled ferociously about the sky. Tossing in their bed, Judith and Sam Haney tried their best to ignore it. Another heavy storm had hit Section 8 of the Newport subdivision, but it wasn't just the storm that was keeping them awake. Ever since they'd uncovered the bones in their garden, the pair had been racked with guilt for having desecrated the grave, but also with shame for having, albeit unwittingly, moved into a house that had quite possibly been built on top of a graveyard. Having finally dozed off, it wasn't long until Sam was snapping awake again, in the dark. He lay for a moment, just listening to the sound of the wind and the rain lashing down against the house, when slowly he became aware of something else. Voices. Thinking that he might still be dreaming, a sudden flash of lightning brought him to his senses. Hearing the voices again, Sam realised they were coming from the TV in the living room. Stepping quietly from the bed, he made his way into the hall, at the bottom of which a gentle light was flickering against the walls. Turning into the living room, Sam stood for a moment, mesmerised by the silent images playing out on the TV screen. Confused as to how on earth it had somehow turned itself on in the middle of the night, he switched it off at the wall and made his way back to bed. The following morning, Judith searched everywhere for her work shoes, but couldn't find them anywhere. Asking Sam in the kitchen if he'd seen them, 
she was suddenly drawn to something out in the garden. The couple had had the grave filled in again as soon as the bones had been collected by the coroner and had planted some flowers on top as a sign of respect. But now there was something else placed there too. Judith's missing shoes. And that was only the beginning. Over the next few days, the couple were beset by a series of strange occurrences, from lights flashing on and off to unaccountable noises, and that sinister sensation that unbeknownst to them had also been plaguing their neighbours, Jean and Ben Williams, the feeling that they weren't quite alone in their house. When the bone analysis came back from the coroner's office, it was discovered that there were in fact two skeletons, buried side by side. Wedding rings found on their fingers suggested that they'd been a married couple. Both were determined to have died of natural causes sometime in the 1930s. The bones were eventually delivered back to the Haney's at their request. The request had been made primarily because the couple believed it important that the bones be returned to where they had come from out of respect. However, it also hadn't been lost on them that those peculiar disturbances had only begun after the grave had been disturbed. The couple placed the bones inside a specially made pine wood box alongside a single rose and buried them back in the spot where they'd originally been found. A few weeks later, after a period of calm, Judith was woken by flashes of electric blue light coming from the alarm clock at the back of the bedroom. She looked aghast at the digital clock as electric sparks shot out at the top of it. Hurrying to switch it off, she was confused to find that it wasn't even plugged in. Moments later, the clock shut itself off. It wasn't long before news of the Haney's gruesome discovery, not just the grave, but the possibility that it might be only one of many in the neighbourhood, reached the other residents of Poppet's Way. Having been one of the first to hear about it, the next day, Jean and Ben Williams wandered out into their garden and stared long and hard at the numerous six-foot-long depressions in the soil that were dotted all around. And at those strange markings, carved into the bark of the great oak at the corner of their home that Jean had grown so fond of. It was as if they were seeing them only then for the first time. An arrow pointing down and two small lines scratched in underneath. Since the death of Jean's brother the previous year, there'd been little let up in the misery that seemed to have engulfed the family since Jean and Ben had moved to Newport barely two years ago. Not long after Glenn died, Jean's father was diagnosed with cancer too, becoming the fifth family member to be diagnosed with a life-threatening illness since they moved into their new home. One night, Carly's cat, Smokey, disappeared into the woods at the back of the garden, only to reappear out of the blue a week later, seeming somehow changed. After he tore apart a bedspread, and then attacked Carly unexpectedly one night. The family took him to the vet. It wasn't clear exactly what ailment had worked its way inside him, but whatever it was, it was killing him, 
causing him great pain and distress in the process. Faced with an impossible choice, the family elected to have Smokey put down. All the while, the family continued to hear what they took to be footsteps moving about at night and laboured under the continual sense that they were being watched by things unseen. Some relief had arrived toward the end of 1982 when Tina was given the all-clear from Hodgkin's lymphoma. But before long, the now familiar dark clouds of misery had drifted back into view. In March 1983, on the exact same day as her brother the year before, Jean's father Robert died. It was an unusual coincidence to say the least, and one that only exacerbated the impact of an already traumatic event. With the Haney's gruesome discovery, and all that that might entail, coming only a few months later, at first it merely compounded everything else. Soon, however, for Jean at least, finally it seemed there might be an answer to it all. The grave's discovery, the strange activity, the illnesses, deaths, and even their daughters, Marcia Ann's broken marriage, and Judith having to give up custody of Carly, might all of it be connected? With Jean now convinced more than ever that something about the location was bringing so much tragedy to the family, her and Ben's thoughts once again turned to escape. However, Not long after finding the bones, the Haneys began a lawsuit against the developers of the Newport subdivision, accusing them of knowingly building on top of graves and failing to disclose that information to their clients. And when the case hit the news, the Williamses struggled to find anyone willing to pay a suitable price for their home. The next 18 months, however, proved relatively calm for the family, who, although they couldn't yet move, had found the perfect place in Montana to at least give them something positive to focus on. Tina had also continued to thrive since getting the all-clear from Hodgkin's disease, and by the end of 1984, she was married and pregnant. In February the following year, Jean noticed the Haneys escorting an elderly man around the neighbourhood, but soon realised it was he that was escorting them stopping every so often to point something out to them. The man, as she later found out, was Jasper Norton, an 80-year-old resident of Baird Station, a small township located at the other side of the woods that backed onto Jean and Ben's property. The area had once been part of the McKinney Plantation. Some time after the abolition of slavery in 1865, A three-acre section of it had supposedly been deeded by the McKinneys to their former slaves. Many of those who still lived there were descendants of those people. Jasper was one of them. As Jasper went on to explain to the Haneys, the land had once been home to a church, a school and a graveyard, known locally as Black Hope Cemetery a final resting place for the community that had grown up around it. According to Jasper, who'd been helping to bury people there since the age of 14, much of Section 8 had been built on top of the graveyard, and Jean and Ben Williams's home was right in the middle of it. 
Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc Therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. The neighbours were understandably shocked by Jasper's story. It would be one thing to have unknowingly built a housing development over a gravesite, quite another to have built it over an entire graveyard. But that was the thing, just how much had the development company known about it? As the Haney's legal suit rattled on, Jean and Ben drove out to Baird Station to speak with some of the local residents to learn more about the cemetery for themselves. Their meetings were documented, along with the rest of the Williams's experiences living in Newport, in their 1991 book, The Black Hope Horror, written in collaboration with John Bruce Shoemaker. 90-year-old Albert Pritchard came to the area from Louisiana with his mother and stepfather in 1900, and recalled that even then they were burying bodies in the local area. His own stepfather was buried there too. He also confirmed that the Williams's home was placed directly in the middle of the site. Will Freeman, his name a stark testament to his family's past, was blind and in his 90s when the Williamses met with him. Freeman explained that bodies would often be buried haphazardly because the land that had been granted to the freed people was either too boggy to do anything with, otherwise it was too rocky or wooded. Most of his neighbours, having been so institutionally crippled by slavery, were unable to afford formal burials or even headstones for their loved ones. Will Freeman also remembered the difficulty of trying to find a suitable place to bury his two sisters, eventually settling on a spot right next to an old oak tree. And, if he wasn't mistaken, as he went on to explain to Jean and Ben, you might still be able to find it due to the markings he'd made in the bark of the tree. A large arrow pointing downwards and two straight lines underneath. Jean felt a sudden lurch in her stomach when he said it, recognising those symbols immediately as the ones on the tree at the corner of her home. There was no question now that Jean and Ben had to find a way out for their family's sake as well as theirs. Though Jean didn't know who or what it was exactly, she was convinced that something had been ruptured by the act of desecrating so many graves and whatever had materialised as a consequence. 
had focused its attention on them. With property values declining as much as 70% now that the cemetery's existence had become more widely known, their only hope was to seek legal compensation. But despite testimony from Baird Station residents that the McKinneys had once deeded the land where the cemetery was located to their former slaves and their descendants, this arrangement had never been officially recognised. As such, when the housing development company later bought it from the McKinney family, legally they hadn't done anything wrong. Had they known about the cemetery before building on top of it and not disclosed this information to future buyers, there might have been reasonable grounds to sue. However, since the state hadn't formally recognised the cemetery either, there was no way to prove that the company had any prior knowledge of its existence. After seeking advice from their lawyer, it was decided that the next best option for the Williamses was to seek compensation from the title company for the loss of value. Only there was one big catch. Even if they succeeded in convincing a jury that compensation was justified, they would ultimately need physical evidence of the cemetery for a judge to award it to them. In order to do this, however, would mean deliberately digging up a grave, which, even if the grave is not formally recognised, could in itself be deemed an illegal act, effectively voiding their claim. After a period of relative calm, in the fall of 1986, Jean and Ben were woken one night by what sounded like heavy footsteps padding up the corridor toward their bedroom. Remembering all that had come before, the couple lay paralysed in fear as the steps drew closer and closer. With their eyes fixed on the open doorway, for a moment a shadow seemed to fall across it, only to slip away again as the sound of footsteps continued on, now heading toward Carly's room. The couple leapt from their bed and darted into the hall. Jean gasped at the sight of Carly's closed bedroom door at the end of the corridor and the sliver of light peeking out from underneath it. She always left it open at night. The couple later claimed to have found Carly, sat bolt upright in bed, but fast asleep, with what appeared to be a number of transparent shapes crowded around the bed. Clutching the crucifix around her neck, Jean had then proceeded to pray loudly until the figures had apparently slowly dissolved away. The following morning, Jean knew exactly what to do. It would be wrong to say it felt good, ramming the spade into the dirt at the base of the large oak tree, but there was little denying the sense of relief that Jean felt now she'd finally taken matters into her own hands. After almost an hour, however, with the ground full of stones and roots, Jean had barely got more than a foot down when she was forced to call it a day. The next day was more of the same, as Jean continued to work away at the pit, but no matter how hard she tried, she seemed barely to make a dent in it. By lunchtime, with some help from Ben, she was about three feet down, when Tina arrived with her new baby to look after Jean's mother for the afternoon. Angered to find Jean attempting to dig up the grave, Tina suggested that they just forget the whole thing and move on, as surely 
If disturbing the graves had been the cause of all their misery, what good could possibly come out of disturbing another one? That evening, with Ben and Jean returned, Tina's husband joined the rest of the family for dinner. Later, with the family gathered together in the living room, Tina suddenly doubled over in pain. Ben yelled for someone to call an ambulance as he tried his best to comfort his daughter, who knew instantly that something was deeply wrong. Tina, who was judged to have suffered a massive heart attack, lost consciousness on the way to hospital and would never regain it. After spending three days on life support, the family agreed to turn it off. With Tina's untimely death, a final line had been crossed. After seven years of cumulative grief and terror, Jean and Ben simply packed their bags and left, cancelling all future payments on their mortgage until finally the lender had no choice but to foreclose on the house, taking their $18,000 deposit with it. Like their neighbours, the Marshalls and Andersons, who'd also been driven out of the neighbourhood under similar circumstances, the Williamses, who resettled in Bitterroot, Montana, lost their whole investment. In total, seven of the area's eight original homes would eventually be abandoned by their owners. In May 1987, the Haney's lawsuit against the housing development company finally came to an end. Although at first, having convinced a jury to find in their favour, with the couple being awarded $142,000 in compensation, this was ultimately overruled on appeal. The judge presiding over the case concluded that there was no evidence to confirm the company had been intentionally negligent. The remains of the married couple found in the Haney's garden were eventually removed and reburied in the nearest perpetual care cemetery. The couple were later identified as most likely being Betty and Charlie Thomas, who'd both been born in the mid-19th century. For many years, the Haney's visited the Thomas's new grave to leave flowers and pay their respects. Other individuals thought to have been buried in Black Hope Cemetery in unmarked graves are Becky Thornton, Tom Fossard, Billy Cash, Rosie Booz, Joseph Freeman, DJ Bradley, Ella Freeman, Maud Holmes, John Freejoy, Louise Childress, Roy Childress, Mary Francis, Terence Brossard, Charlie Bates, Ben Hubley, Mainy Booth, Bob Hunter, Joe Turner, Nancy Turner, and Billy Parrish. Unexplained the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter 
at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Today. 